Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Tasya drastyam kapir viksha. Tasya drastyam kapir viksha. Tarunyo jati chapala. Tarunyo jati chapala. Hasya priya vijahasur. Hasya priya vijahasur. Baladeva parigraha. Asya darstyam kapir viksha. Tarunyo jati chapala. Asya priya vijahasur. Baladeva parigraha. Tasya darstyam kapir viksha. Tasya darstyam kapir viksha. Tarunyo jati chapala. Tasya priya vijahasur.
ladies, please. Tasya of him, Dharasyam, the impudence, Kape of the ape, Viksha, Singh, Tarunya, the young women, Jati by nature, Chapala. Not serious. Hasya Priya, fond of laughter. Vijahasu, laughed loudly. Baladeva, Parigraha, the consorts of Lord Baladeva. When Lord Baladeva's consorts saw the ape's impudence, they began to laugh. They were, after all, young girls who were fond of joking and prone to silliness. Tahelayam asakapir brukshepayar samukhadibi darshayan swagudam tasam ramasyacha nirikshita even as Lord Balaram looked on, Viveda insulted the girls by making odd gestures with his eyebrows, coming right in front of them and showing them his anus. Purport by <clears throat> the servants of Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada writes, The gorilla was so rude that even in the presence of Balaram, he began to show the lower part of his body to the women, and sometimes he would come forward to show his teeth while moving his eyebrows. Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti states, that Vavita would come right up to the woman and move about, urinate, and so on. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Om Agyan Timirandasya Janan Janachalakaya 
Chakshuru Militam Jena Tasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manobhishtam Stapitam Yela Bhutale Gadamayam Tatapiswa Padantikam Bandeham Sri Guru Sri Jatapadakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajataham Sahagana Raghunathan Vitam Tham Sajivam Sadvaitam Sapadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakan Vitamscha E Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dinabandhu Jagatpate Kopesha Gopika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kansana Gaurangi Radhe Vrindabhaneshwari Vrishabhanu Sute Devi Ranamami Hari Priye Vansha Kalpatarubhyascha Yevacha, Patitanam, Bhavanibyo, Vaishnavibyo, Namo Namaha, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, Prabhu Nityananda, Sri Advaita Gadadhar, Shivasati Gaura Bhakta Brinda, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama Hari Hari Hare Krishna Today we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 10 Chapter 67 Entitled Balaram Slays Vividha Gorilla Text twelve and thirteen. I thank you all for being with us this morning. Hare Shrutikirti Prabhu was Srila Prabhupada's personal servant for several years. One of his most liked stories to tell was just before he was he became Srila Prabhupada's servant. He was in Los Angeles. Srila Prabhupada made Los Angeles his United States or North American headquarters. It's a very same building is still there. I think it was their third temple. They went from very small places, little storefronts, and then gradually they Krishna gave a very beautiful property. 
and they made a, pro- a quarters for Srila Prabhupada and a little garden. Srila Prabhupada especially liked to be in natural settings. I remember when Srila Prabhupada came to New Vrindavan in 1972. We have two very senior and wonderful devotees who have come from those early days in New Vrindavan, two disciples of Srila Prabhupada, Vishwadika Mataji, can you please stand up, and Devada Prabhu, are you here, Devada Prabhu? Devada Prabhu, you came to Krishna consciousness in what year? 1971. And he's, when I first came to America and I went to Nubrindavid, he was in charge of horses. He was taking hay up a mountain on a horse, and that was my first service, to help him load the hay. And then he, they wanted to actually get rid of me, so they sent me on the mountain with him. <laughs> so let us welcome them by loudly chanting Hari <laughs> Hare Krishna. Very grateful you are here. So in 1972, when Srila Prabhupada came, it was an old farmhouse that they were trying to renovate for him to stay because he was going to come for almost two weeks. And it was a farmhouse that we called Madhuban. And it was really old. And it was really beaten down. It was about a hundred, over a hundred years old wood. Small house. So somehow or other, um, I was put in charge of scraping the paint off the whole house with a knife and then repainting it. And the night before Prabhupada came, there was an emergency. He was going to arrive the next morning. The toilet didn't flush. (laughs) And everybody was so busy because they were setting up. There was going to be so many different events happening. Prabhupada was giving Bhagavatarma discourses. And they were on a mountain, he was going to be speaking, and they had to, with devotees from all over America and the world were coming, so they had to prepare all kinds of prasad. And they were trying to finish Radha Vrindavan Chandra's temple because it was, it's, it had about a month of work to do, and they had to finish it within a couple of days, a new temple. So then they found out the there was only one bathroom in Prabhupada's little house and the toilet did not flush. So they asked if anyone knew how to fix toilets. And no one answered. (laughs) 
So I, somebody looked at me and said, you are in charge of fixing it. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, why me? I don't even use toilets. <laughs> The whole time I lived in India for all those years, I don't think I ever used a toilet. <laughs> it was considered, you know, for sadhus to use toilets. In the Himalayas, where do you find a toilet? <laughs> wherever you... There's always somebody who... Whatever you put down, there's always... In the Himalayan jungles, there's always someone who wants it. <laughs> Vrindavan, the dogs and the hogs. Very enthusiastic. <laughs> I don't want to go into details, but I've, I remember instances where they were so eager. <laughs> they were actually trying to get it before it even came out. somewhat of a culture shock. <laughs> <coughs> but anyways, those things were all going through my mind when I was told I was to fix the toilet. And then I was told, if the toilet doesn't work when Prabhupada comes, that will be Guru Aparad. <laughs> and you are responsible. And everyone left. <laughs> and it was evening, and he was coming in the morning. And I didn't know anything about toilets or plumbing. And there was no, uh, like, instruments to use to fix it. And I, I just went like, you know, I just little, you know what toilets are. You push the little lever, and I went... Nothing was happening, and I pulled it up, and I was trying to somehow or other get it to work. And I was sticking, I, I went out to the forest and got some sticks and was putting it in. I spent the whole night trying to fix the toy. And uh, I was alone. Everybody else was sleeping, waiting for Prabhupada to come or doing something else and I was all night and I was really desperate and that's that was kind of as close as I was to Dropity as far as <laughs> really taking shelter of Krishna Frank please save me save me and I was really crying out to Krishna and chanting his names loudly because no one was around and then It was, for me, it was like music. <laughs> I never thought a flushing toilet would sound so sweet. <laughs> Everything's very relative to your particular perception of a thing. 
Anyways, then Prabhupada came the next morning. And everyone was there to greet him, but I, it was hard for me because I was up all night. So I was there, but I was really tired. And uh, what happened is I was kind of attached to the fruits of my actions, according to Bhagavad Gita. So I asked, at that time, I think Nanda Kumar was assisting Prabhupada. I asked him, how does Prabhupada like the toilet? (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at me like, you know, I've been serving Prabhupada for a couple of years. Nobody ever asked that question. (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, really, is he enjoying the toilet? And he said he doesn't use it. And I said, what do you mean? He said, now that he's here in the country, you know, out of the cities, he takes a little lota and his gamsha and he, go, and he goes out to the fields. I said, but you know, but the toilet works. And he said, Srila Prabhupada told me, because I go out, Nanda Kumar would go out and hold the lota for him. He said, Prabhupada told me, I prefer to be out in the open air with nice breezes. (laughs) So Srila Prabhupada really liked natural um, environments. So Los Angeles is a very big city, very crowded city. And just on the side of the temple, a little behind, they made a special little garden for him. And they tried to make it like Brindavan. had a little little pond with a fountain. They grew flowers and some small trees. And every evening, Srila Prabhupada would very much like to just sit there and chant japa and so many of his most famous meetings with people were in that garden Jay Stilson Judo famous professor who wrote so many beautiful things about Prabhupada that's where he would come to meet Srila Prabhupada and you know the important people from Los Angeles devotees would meet they would often bring them to Prabhupada's garden but every evening, Srila Prabhupada would have them read Krishna book. And it's a small garden. So maybe a dozen or 20 of very um, senior leaders of our society would sit there with Srila Prabhupada. And Shrutikirti Prabhu was asked to read the Krishna book. So each night he would read, and Srila Prabhupada would just listen so attentively. Sometimes Srila Prabhupada would say, I did not write this book. He would say this about all his books. He said, Krishna wrote these books. 
and you would often like to read his books. So Shutakirti, one night, he was thinking, you know, I just have to find a good story for Srila Prabhupada. And he was looking through, and Srila Prabhupada said that Krishna book is like a sweet ball. Anywhere you bite into it, it is sweet. So just go anywhere. So he opened it up to the story of Dvavida. <laughs> and it was really a highlight for him because he started reading and Srila Prabhupada was in such a rapt attention. And he started reading about the various disturbances that Vivida did. He read about how he was tearing down the trees of the hermitages and destroying the gardens of the sages in the forest. And Srila Prabhupada was smiling. And then he read the line about how Vivida would contaminate their sacrifices by passing urine and stool. And Srila Prabhupada started laughing so hard and slapping his leg with his hand. <laughs> Everyone was in ecstasy just to see Prabhupada so happy, enjoying. Krishna book everyone in the garden was roaring with laughter and Prabhupada just kept laughing and Shutakirti was just laughing and watching and so happy and that's kind of the way it was through the story and the next day he was thinking what other demon can I read about and Prabhupada said like a sweet ball anywhere you, anywhere you read from it it's nectar And Srila Prabhupada said, even though he was laughing so hard, he said Vivita was not a joke. He was really a serious personality. In the content of sitting here in a nice air-conditioned hall in Mumbai, <laughs> we can laugh when we read these beautiful stories. And we become you know, purified. Because Srimad Bhagavatam is not different than Krishna. And to the extent we become absorbed in hearing, absorbed in experiencing the sound vibration, we're absorbed in Krishna. So we're reading in these how Dvaveda, he was so powerful that with his hands he had the strength of 10,000 elephants and these were elephants in a previous yuga not like the little elephants Kali Yuga elephants are kind of like the rats in Bombay compared to <laughs> compared to the elephants of Dwapa Yuga they were really elephants huge elephants male elephants with giant tusks. And even today, I've been to Guru Vayur, and I saw one elephant at Guru Vayur, 
a male elephant. He just casually wrapped his trunk around a tree. It was like a medium-sized tree, not a real big tree, not a real small tree. Just wrapped his trunk around a tree. It was a huge elephant. And pulled and <laughs> uprooted the whole tree. With the roots and everything, tore it out of the ground and just threw it. And then just kind of walked around. <laughs> I was thinking, why did he do that? <laughs> and then I happened, this is just my perceptive, I happened to see a female elephant watching. <laughs> came to the conclusion that's right <laughs> so, like that but elephants are very powerful Vivida had the strength of 10,000 elephants just like the other day Srinathji Prabhu, he's a scientist, a PhD scientist. He likes to explain difficult things in very simple ways. And we, we were in a subject, and he was saying how electricity is based on candle power. And how what is the amount of light given off by one little candle, and how this light bulb, he was telling us how much candle power it is and how automobiles, because they used to have horses, so there's something called horsepower. That means how many horses it would take to go this fast and pull this load. Calculating. So this idea of candle power and horsepower, it's dating back from the Vedas in the sense where it's estimated a man's strength by how many elephants he's compared to. So Dvavita Gorilla, his arms had this had ten thousand elephant power. So he would go to the ocean, not a little pond of water. Srila Prabhupada explained when it describes how Dvavita Gorilla went to the ocean and put his hands in and swished it around, it made such a commotion in the water that on all sides of the ocean there were massive waves, like tidal waves, like tsunamis, that completely flooded the entire coastal region and devastated everything around it. And in Srila Prabhupada's little garden, there was a pond. And he looked at the pond. He said, if you put your hands in that pond and do like that, you can do something like that. But we can't even do in a little pond what Vivida could do to an entire ocean. That was his strength. And it describes how he was passing urine and stool wherever Brahmins and sages were trying to perform their, their sacrifices, their yajyas. 
He was destroying houses. He was burning. He was burning everything you could see on fire. Goshalas, homes, palaces, government buildings. He was a serious terrorist, actually. And he was going to aristocratic families and capturing the women and forcibly abusing them. He was really a demon. And it is described how we were discussing this yesterday in Krishna's previous incarnation as Lord Sri Ramachandra, he was a great devotee. He was one of, according to Mahabharata, he was one of the personal ministers of Sugriva. The ministers were Hanuman, Jambavan, Mainda, and Vivida. And it describes his prowess of fighting right alongside with Hanumanji and Sugriva to get Sita back for Ram, fighting against Ravana. He was a he was a, an associate of Sri Hanumanji, and he was extremely powerful. He was one of the most courageous and most powerful of the warriors fighting for Ram in Sri Lanka. But throughout these beautiful stories of Srimad Bhagavatam, Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, Mahabharata, there's a common theme that is so frequent because we're supposed to take it so seriously. But so often we just read the stories and read the philosophy, but we just don't really take the lesson seriously. Because when something is repeated again and again and again, it means it's really important to us. And that lesson is the danger of false pride. Arrogance. And practically, in, in so many cases, we find that's the core issue that has made people bad. Hiranyakashipu got all those benedictions from Lord Brahma, and he became totally intoxicated by false pride. That he thought he could get away with anything. I am the controller. I am the proprietor. I am the enjoyer. And he became so deeply intoxicated by his false pride that Vishnu became his competitor, his enemy. Ravana, what was his pride? He defeated Indra. <laughs> and the more he would succeed, the prouder he became. And the more proud he became, the more he 
became disconnected from any true character or values. And he thought anything. He was so proud, he thought that he had a right to steal Sita, Lord Ramchandra's wife. And because of his arrogance, Hanuman warmed him, Vibhishan warmed him, even his brother Kumbhakarna warned him, give Sita back. But he couldn't listen to anybody because of his arrogance. Again and again, Banasura, he did tapasya, and he got tremendous power from his tapasya. And he became so proud. False pride. He had thousand arms. And he felt, I have Lord Shiva behind me. And when, when Aniruddha and Usha fell in love with each other, he, he captured Krishna's great grandson and kind of put him in prison, held him captured. Could you imagine? All he had to do was just say, okay, Krishna, come, we'll have a marriage. And he would have been related to Krishna forever. We would be reading about him in a completely different way. But he had no... False pride completely covers one's intelligence. In this sense, Banasura is thinking, I can defeat Krishna. That's how covered over he is by his arrogance. Hiranyakashipu Ravana, even though Hiranyakashipu was told by Prahlad, Ravana was told by his brothers, by sages, but it was covered over. Banasura, Bomasura, was best friends with Vivida. Bomasura was the son of Mother Earth and the father was Varahadev, Vishnu. But he became too proud because of his powers and his strength and his influence. So whether it's the power, because there's six opulences, and any of these opulences make one attractive. And if any living entity in the conditioned state has any of these opulences, they can make us falsely proud because we attract others. Krishna is all attractive. A devotee's happiness is in seeing how Krishna is attracting everyone. But when we're disconnected from that happiness and we put ourselves in the center instead of putting Krishna in the center, then our happiness is how I can attract others. Kunti Devi prays like this. The greatest disqualifications for bhakti, for real spiritual life, is to be attractive, to have beauty. 
wealth, knowledge, or fame. High birth means fame. People really want to be famous. People want to be beautiful. And they want to be wealthy. And some people want to be learned. And when we have any of these little qualities, we like to show them off so that people will be attracted to us. Queen Kunti said, having these things is the greatest disqualification because they make us proud. They infatuate and perpetuate the misconception that I am the enjoyer, I am the controller, I am the proprietor of these qualities. And therefore, I'm the center of existence. And Krishna's something theoretical after that. Now, in an extreme case, like Ravana or Hiranyakashipu or Dvivida, it's such an extreme case that they are, they're such they're so powerful that not only do they take the center and Krishna just gets pushed out like a, something theoretical but Krishna becomes a competitor and they're actually obsessed with defeating a power that could be greater than their own. Now for us, we may be, we're covered over in the same way, but because we're so small, and we're so basically irrelevant, we have to kind of manufacture a whole other conception. We start criticizing other people. I have to be better than him, or I have to be better than her. I have to show what kind of things I have or what I can do or who I am or what I know. When we're having this competition among each other, I know more about bhakti than you. I know more verses of Bhagavad Gita than you. I know more deeper terms of rasa tattva than you. And we become proud. See, I'm better. What does that mean? It means our false ego is covering us over. And if we, ex- if we just exasperate that same conception, because we're putting ourselves in the center, instead of, if we put Krishna in the center, amanina manadena, that's the symptom of one who puts Krishna in the center that we offer all respect to others. And we don't, we don't demand, we don't expect any respect for oneself because we don't need it. We're happy seeing Krishna being glorified by all the Vedas and by all the sages and by all the rishis. And we know, you know, Brahma Samhita tells in Goloka Vrindavan there's hundreds and millions of goddesses of fortune singing the praises of Krishna. I'm happy. <laughs> Nothing could ever change that. Krishna's dancing with gopis and they're all and he's and, and, and the gopas 
Krishna so loved. Just hearing about these things and knowing these things makes us so happy. And we want to share that happiness by helping the whole world find the joy of tasting the sweetness of just putting Krishna in the center of their life. Krishna is supremely beautiful, supremely wealthy, supremely um, knowledgeable, and supremely famous. And when we just relish that, then we become supremely happy. Well, when we try to be that ourselves, we're disconnected, we're covered over. And then, we, and then there's so much competition due to these false egos and no real satisfaction. And the more we satisfy our false ego, the more it grows, and the, and the more it grows like a cancer. The more cancer grows, the cancer likes growing <laughs> because the more it could devour Yes, but a sane person understands that I, I don't want to make my cancer grow. I want to get rid of it. Yes, the more it grows, the hungrier it becomes, and the more it eats you away. Well, can, cancer is a small thing. We have seen many devotees, they get cancer and they go back to Godhead. <laughs> So that's, but false ego is just the opposite. False ego is a spiritual cancer that eats away all one's spiritual attributes. Not the attributes that other people see necessarily, but what Krishna sees. So Queen Kunti is praying that these are the greatest disqualifications because they make one proud. And if one is proud, one cannot cry out Krishna's names with feeling. And that's what bhakti is about. Crying out Krishna's names with feeling. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave such a beautiful, comprehensive formula how to do that. Trinadapi suniche naturor ibasishna. Amani namana dena kirtaniya sadahari. If we could live by this principle, it will be tested in so many ways from within and without. But if we could hold on to value this principle of humility and forgiveness and tolerance and respect, then, Krishna, then, we're, then we can actually put Krishna in the center in our life. Actually. And Maya is very powerful. She'll try to make us falsely proud because that is really the, the most fundamental distraction away from Krishna is false pride, which breeds envy, arrogance and envy. And then we live in a whole world of trying to prove 
not about Krishna but about me even in the name of Krishna so here is Viveda he's a great devotee and he's showing that Maya even in devotion we can be proud of our renunciation that's one of the opulences of Krishna renunciation so brahmacharis and sannyasis or even grihastas who given a lot of charity whatever it may be could become really arrogant and envious because of their renunciation what to speak of knowledge or beauty or strength or fame the Bhagavatam says we should not even be attached to those things that come through our devotional service because they're not ours to enjoy sometimes when we come to the path of bhakti we get all kinds of opulences that we never had before and they seem like they're really spiritual opulences and they are if we understand that they belong to Krishna we're caretakers Bhava, whether it's in the path of devotional service or whether it's within the material world Krishna can make us from a mouse into a lion but if we become too proud it's just a matter of time till he makes us a mouse again So Dvavita was doing seva, but he was really powerful and he was really strong and he was really successful. And he helped win the war against Ravana. And he was devoted to Ram and he was devoted to Sita. But he had some negative feelings and envy toward Lakshman who was playing the role of a devotee because he was proud he couldn't appreciate Lakshman he couldn't appreciate his strength and his devotion and he made apparats to Lakshman but it doesn't talk about him arguing with Lakshman or anything like that I don't know of any instances like that in the scriptures but he had that feeling and in previous ages you were responsible for what you thought in Kali Yuga there's good concession (laughs) if we contemplate the objects of the senses then by that contemplation it's just a matter of time till we act or speak but when those thoughts come we have the choice whether we're going to contemplate it or whether we're going to divert our attention and focus on something that's going to purify us rather than contaminate us and understand Vivida this was in Treta Yuga when he was with when he was feeling negativity competitiveness envy toward Lakshman the original guru 
It was like a seed. And sometimes seeds don't always just, just all of a sudden become a flower. Sometimes they take time. So sometimes we're envious and we're, even we say things and we do things. And we think, well, I'm still chanting and I'm still doing nicely and everything's ready and I'm still growing and everyone likes me. So I guess my offenses are all right. Maybe they're not even offenses. But everything takes its time. It was in the next yuga that his offenses to Lakshman actually bore fruit. He was holding it in. He wasn't purifying himself. He was holding it in. And after a long time, when Krishna was living, his offenses, his false ego, which was the cause of his offenses, because he was so strong and he was so famous and he was, and among monkeys, he was very beautiful, I imagine. He really thought, I'm the enjoyer, I'm the controller. And who's this Lakshman? Why he's getting so much credit? Why he's so dear? And because of that, he was attracted to another envious person, Narakasura. And in the association of Narakasura, he became really, really, that, that seed really blossomed into envy. And, and blatant egoism. It's like a disciplic succession of false ego. Banasura, the son of Bali Maharaj, the great grandson of Prahlad, he had so much power and so much strength and so much fame and so much beauty, he became false pride and became an enemy. And Bomasura is the son of Bhumi Devi and Varaha Dev. And because of his got the association of Bana, he became envious and arrogant. And Vivida, he already had that seed, but in this association of Narakasura, Bomasura, it really became outward. And when Krishna killed Bomasura, the Vivida, who is this Krishna and Balaram to do this? And he decided he must get revenge. So all of these things we're reading about, you know, stirring up the ocean and creating tidal waves and, and, and massive floods and, and destroying sacrifices with urine and stool. Now, thank, please understand, this is serious. You know, if you want to do a contaminate a fire sacrifice by passing some urine and stool, you know, so what? I mean, no doubt your urine and stool is contaminated. <laughs> but Vivida 
Can you imagine the quantities? <laughs> he was a giant. He was the size. He was as strong as ten thousand elephants. He was massive in size, and he had mystical powers. He was a yogi. He had misty. He had supernatural powers. Vida. If he wants to contaminate something with urine and stool, see this child is taking note. <laughs> Huge quantities of urine and stool, <laughs> and he could really do it in a dramatic way too. I'm sure he was spoiling everything, and he was he was raping women, aristocratic women, and keeping them prisoners, and he was taking people, just grabbing people, important people in society. And putting them in mountain caves, and then sealing the caves with big rocks, just like a wasp steals little insects and puts them in their hive and <laughs> seals it so they can't get out. Why would he do that? Just to show how great he is, how powerful he is. Just to intimidate others and put fear in others. And to show his own prowess. And he heard this beautiful music on the Raivataka mountain. And there was Balaram, who was Lakshman in his last life. He had the seed of envy of Balaram. And now he's seeing Balaram with the most beautiful women he's ever seen in his life, singing and dancing and drinking Varuni. And the music was so sweet, and the dance was so sweet, and everyone was so beautiful. He couldn't tolerate that anyone but him could be enjoying. How is this Balaram enjoying such beautiful women? So he started harassing them. And it's describing how he was harassing. He was kind of gradually getting more and more disgusting. First he was just jumping branch to branch. And then he was showing his teeth and moving his eyebrows. Now what does that mean? None of you have any emotion. But if you were to see him doing this, I don't even know what it means. But somehow or other, it's a very prominent part of the Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> He's showing his teeth and moving his eyebrows. It's like his way of entertaining and showing his greatness. And he was making this noise. Kila kila. Kila kila. Kila kila. He was going from branch to branch. And Balaram's girlfriend saw him going, Kila, 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 Kila. 
and moving his eyebrows, going right up to them and moving eyebrows and showing teeth. And they started laughing. They were just simple ladies. They were just prone toward laughing. Well, when he saw them laughing, he began to intensify his presentation. (laughs) And he was going right to their faces and turning around and putting his rear side right in their face. And then he started passing urine and stool all over the place. And then he started taking their clothes off. Balaram's right there. Right in front of Balaram, he's taking the clothes of the ladies of Balaram's consorts. And then he started doing it to Balaram. So Balaram understood, this, this person is not a joke, he's serious. So Balaram took a rock and he hit. He, he, he didn't hit it. He threw it at Vavita. But Vavita's a great fighter. He dodged the rock. Adi, adi. It's just to show how great he is. So then Balaram hit him again. And it was like his head kind of cut open. And it's described, it was beautiful, like red oxide. Or Prabhupada says manganese, red manganese. The blood that was flowing. And Vavita got very angry. And he uprooted a huge tree. And attacked Balaram with the tree. And Balaram took his club and he made the tree into little particles. Vavita uprooted another tree and Balaram did the same thing. Until the entire forest and mountainside, there was no more trees. Hundreds and hundreds of trees he was attacking Balaram and every time Balaram would just go... Now, if he had any intelligence whatsoever, spiritual intelligence, he would have understood that Balaram is really, he's the supreme personality of God. (laughs) But his false ego wouldn't admit it. I am going to destroy Balaram. So after there's no more trees, he picked up giant rocks, boulders, and started hurling them at Balaram. And Sri Baladev with his club he made each boulder into powder until there were no more boulders and then Vivida picked up there was no more rocks there was no more trees his gigantic fists he came to beat Balaram with and Balaram was a chatriya he knew the codes of honor if my, if my opponent is not using weapons, I will not use weapons. He put his plow and his club aside, and with his fist, one hit. He hit the collarbone of Vavita. And Vavita fell to the ground. Dead. 
demigod started showering nice flowers on Balaram and saying, the whole universe was happy because Vividu was dead. And he was a great devotee. What happened to that man? But he got liberated. So Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains that even though he did such seva to um, for Ram, Krishna likes to teach very, very crucial, essential lessons to the world. And sometimes he uses his devotees to teach those lessons. Jai and Vijay. They were the gatekeepers of Baikunda. Very exalted personalities. But they offended the four Kumars by seeing them in a very materialistic way. And due to that offense, they became Hiranyakashipu, Hiranyaksha, Ravana, Kumbhakarna, and later on Shishupal and Dantavakra. And these devotees of the Lord became enemies of the Lord. They became tyrants. Because Krishna wanted to teach many lessons to the world. And this is one of the lessons. Even if you're in the gate of Vaikuntha, you have to be very careful. Bhishma, he's a great Mahajan. He was a loving devotee of the Lord. Why did he take the side of the Kurus to fight against the Pandavas and essentially to fight against Krishna when he loves Krishna and he's a devotee of Krishna? And Srila Prabhupada writes, because he understood Krishna wanted him to use him as an example. That even if the most learned and powerful person in the whole universe is not on the side of Krishna and Dharma that person will be defeated so Dvavida was actually being used as an example he was going to go back to Godhead no doubt <laughs> but he was being used as an example Somehow or other, he was Krishna covered, allowed him to be covered over to show even such a such an exalted minister of Sugriva and associate of Hanuman. If we become arrogant, if we become falsely proud of our strength or our knowledge, or our beauty, or our fame, or our renunciation. Then we become covered over. It's a powerful lesson that has to be taken really, really serious in how we treat each other. In the Sri Chaitanya Bhagavat, there is a reference to Dravida. Does anyone know where it is? Please raise your hand.
been to Peru? No? Yes? In Sri Chaitanya Bhagavat, there's the story of Jagai and Madhai. Or Madhai was, they were also expansions of Jai and Vijay. It almost sounds like that too. Hiranyakashipu, Hiranyaksha doesn't sound like Jai and Vijay. But Jagai Madhai kind of sounds like that. (laughs) (laughs) So they took an extra bonus to be with Lord Chaitanya. They came down again. They were very demoniac. They were kind of doing all the things that Vivida was doing. But they were even worse. They were raping. They were putting things on fire. They were eating, killing, eating all kinds of blood and always intoxicated and they were extremely powerful like Dravida and they attacked Lord Nityananda Lakshman Balaram Nityananda same person and when Nityananda Prabhu came to ask Madhai to chant Krishna's names along with his brother Jagai. Madhai took a pot and smashed the head of Nityananda with it. And Nityananda Prabhu was bleeding. And at that moment Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu when he heard he appeared with his Sudarsan chakra to kill Jagai and Madhai. And all Nityananda had to do is just stand there and they would have been killed. But Nityananda Prabhu stood between Lord Chaitanya and Madhai and was pleading with Lord Chaitanya to be merciful to them. But Lord Chaitanya was very upset. And then Nityananda said, Jagai stopped Madhai from hitting me again. And when, he, when Lord Chaitanya heard that Jagai did something favorable for Nityananda, his heart melted. And we have this beautiful painting that our Haridas Thakur Prabhu has painted. Where Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, is, he said, you have given, you have protected my Nityananda Prabhu. You have done seva for him. He put his foot on Jagai's heart and manifested his form of Narayan. And Jagai entered into a state of ecstatic love. And Madhai saw this. And he understood his destiny was the Sudarsan Chakra. <laughs> so he became very sober. You're giving Jagai love of love for Krishna and you're giving me Sudarsan Chakra. Every, anything I've done, he's done. And anything he's done, I've done. So we, we have the same karma. So if you're going to give him love of Krishna, then give me too, not the Sudarsan Chakra. 
Lord Chaitanya said, no, he protected Nityananda. You hurt him. You must be punished. And Nityananda Prabhu pleaded. If you're going to kill Madhai, then you're going to have to ultimately kill everyone because in Kali Yuga, everyone's more or less like Madhai. And that's what today's class is about. Everyone is more or less like Vividha. Yes, we're laughing about Vividha. Even though he's not a joke. If you saw him, you wouldn't. Maybe initially you'd laugh, but as soon as he got into his more deeper um, presentations, he would be terrified. But we're talking about an anarta that's within ourselves as well. So we're all more or less like Jagai Madhai, like Vidita. That's what Nityananda's logic was. We've come to deliver them by giving them the, the holy names of Krishna and the path of how to chant the holy names of Krishna. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is not only coming to give purification and liberation through the holy names of Krishna, but he's giving, come to give us elevation to Krishna's lila in Vrindavan. He's giving us entrance into the Sakyaras, Vatsalyaras, and Madhuryaras. Through the chanting of the holy names of Krishna and cultivating bhakti, according to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teachings, he's giving us entrance into the mood of the gopis of Vrindavan. This was Swarup Damodar Goswami's beautiful prayer. There are many incarnations of Krishna, but Lord Chaitanya is giving what none other has given so easily. This highest revelation in the spiritual world of Braj Bhakti. Nityananda Prabhu's, this is what we've come for to give the least qualified the highest things. Yesterday in the Prerna festival we were discussing Brahmananda Prabhu's realization of Srila Prabhupada. One of them, he has limitless realizations of Srila Prabhupada. He said, Srila Prabhupada loved us even though we were completely not lovable. Srila Prabhupada's coming from Vrindavan, the place of the Rasalila Radha Damodar temple. And in the Lower East Side of New York and Haight Ashbury in San Francisco, these people, Ramananda Prabhu is explaining, they, they were taking drugs, they were having illicit sex, they were not all of them were vegetarians, they were really so many bad qualities. He said, there was nothing lovable about us. But Srila Prabhupada loved us. And he sacrificed his life in every way out of his love for us. And he said, he said Prabhupada loved us because he saw something in us that we had no connection to. He saw that we were eternal servants of Krishna. 
He saw our souls. He saw that within our hearts we were eternal loving servants of Krishna. And he saw that his spiritual master, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur Prabhupada, had sent all of us to help him with his mission. This is what he was saying. He was describing how when Srila Prabhupada was in Vrindavan during his last weeks, Srila Prabhupada's physical body was completely deteriorating. He was emaciated. He couldn't eat anything. He couldn't walk. He couldn't even sit up. And Brahmananda Prabhu said he was he had a he had a slight fever, so for a couple days he didn't come to see Prabhupada. And when he came, Prabhupada was so concerned with him. How is your health? Are you taking medicine? Are you getting enough rest? Are you getting proper diet? He's thinking his body it's about to die <laughs> and it's in such a state and he's so deeply concerned and caring about my little disease I'm young I'm, I'm pretty much over it so that was just who Prabhupada was he loved us because he saw who we really were he saw the potential within us And he had complete faith in Krishna's holy names and in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And if we simply accept this gift that he's been entrusted to give us, then we could find that same happiness. And we can share that happiness. So Nityananda Prabhu was saying like this to Lord Chaitanya this is what we've come to give people give them love of Krishna and Lord Nityananda said to Nityananda if you accept if you embrace Madhai then I will accept him so Madhai fell at the feet of Lord Nityananda and Lord Nityananda picked him up and embraced him and told Madhai, now I offer now I offer you the shelter of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Lord Chaitanya said, Now let's take our bath in the Ganga and then come to my house, we'll have Kirtan together. And they had Kirtan. And Jagaya and Madhai became great intimate inner circle devotees of Lord Chaitanya and his associates. But Madhai couldn't give up the guilt of what he did. And some time later when Nityananda Prabhu was roaming around Navadweep, he was approached by Madhai and Madhai was crying. I have, I have offended you. You are so merciful, so kind. Again and again you, kind, you came to try to show your compassion to me. But I insulted you. I chased you. And ultimately I hit you and made you bleed. How could I live knowing that I've done that? 
And then it was Madhai who offered a beautiful prayer to Lord Nityananda. He said, you are so merciful that the sages of Naimasharanya, they all attained the highest perfection just by meditating upon your beautiful form. At the same time, you vanquished Indrajit when he attacked the form of you as Lakshman. And you vanquished Vividha when he attacked the form, your form as Balaram. So Madhai is citing this beautiful story of Vividha Gorilla in his prayers of glorification of Lord Nityananda. And Lord Nityananda told Madhai that just as a little child sometimes kicks his mother, I, that's, I don't mind. <laughs> He totally forgave him. Dina hina yatachilo harinamu dari lotara sakshi jagai madai. It's interesting. Indrajit is the one who th threw that astra in Lakshman and caused him so much pain. But then it was Lakshman who vanquished Indrajit. And it was Vividha who was hitting Balaram with trees and rocks and trying to exploit his consorts and beating Balaram with his fists, his form. And it was Balaram that vanquished Vividha. But that same principle, Madhai smashed Nityananda Prabhu on the head and made him bleed. But Nityananda Prabhu didn't vanquish Madhai. He vanquished the egoistic, envious, sinful mentality within Madhai. And he gave Madhai the holy name of Krishna. And along with the name of Krishna, he gave Madhai the blessing that simply by this chanting, ecstatic love of Krishna and all the good qualities of all the demigods and beyond would awaken within his heart simply by chanting the holy name. <laughs> This is the gift we've all been given. We all have our Dvidha and Jagaimadai propensities. But we have to identify them and not live by them. 
And Lord Chaitanya taught us how to overcome all those propensities. Very simple. Gopi To be the servant of the servant of the servant. Put Krishna in the center. And along with Krishna, put Krishna's servants in the center. And put the servants of Krishna's servants in the center. And put the servants of the servants of Krishna in the center. And put the servants of the servants of the servants in Krishna. And like that. Anudas. That means take oneself out of the center. It's not about my beauty or my fame or my knowledge or my wealth. It's not even about my lack of knowledge or my lack of beauty or my lack of wealth. <laughs> because, you know, by having we become, can become very arrogant and by not having we can be arrogant in another way by being envious of others or depressed. It's about Krishna. We come to the temple Radha Gopinath are decorated so beautifully. And we're all happy just to see them like that. And they're getting such nice offerings. And we're happy. And they have such a nice temple. It's better than most of our houses. <laughs> At least we're trying to make it better than your houses. <laughs> Why? Because we want to put Krishna in the center. And even if our houses are nice, then we put Krishna in the center of our house. It's not about me, it's about Krishna. Whether we're living in a little straw hut or whether we're living in a palace, if we put Krishna in the center, then our lives become natural. And the simple way of putting Krishna in the center is this principle of being servant of the servant of the servant. What does servant mean? Servant means you're actually a well-wisher. If you're a servant of somebody, you you're want to make that person successful. You want to help that person to be happy. Yes? It's like if you have servant in your business, if he's a good servant or she's a good servant, then they're going to help you become successful. They're not going to try to undermine you. They're not <laughs> That's what a servant means. They're well-wishers. So in Krishna consciousness, we want other people to prosper. We want whoever, we're, we're the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant of the servant. For all these people, we're putting them along with Krishna in the center to make them happy, to make them spiritually prosperous. To be joyful when they're getting blessings, when they're getting empowerment when they're making progress. And when we take ourselves out in the center and we put Krishna and all others in the center, in that spirit, what's the result? We get Krishna. When we put Krishna in the center, we get Krishna. Krishna loves us in such a way that's so intimate and so sweet and so absolutely fulfilling. Yamunacharya, in his beautiful prayer, he said even the most... Um, 
even the most sought after pleasures of material existence which I was totally addicted to in the past now that I've put Krishna in the center of my life and I've tasted Krishna's love when I even think about those things my lips curl in distaste and I spit at the thought Hare Krishna What is it he's curling his lips and spitting about? It's that arrogance that wants us to be the enjoyer, the controller, the proprietor. It's that consciousness that he's spitting about, not just the, an act. Because if the same acts, Krishna tells in Gita, sex life, according to religious principles, I am that. Bhaktivinoda Thakur had about ten children. So he's not spitting about that. The arrogant desire of putting oneself in the center to be the enjoyer. That's what he's spitting. Whether it's that or Pratishta, Fame, recognition, adoration, profit. Dina hina yata chilo harinamutarila. Tara sakshi jagai madai. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sri Nityananda Prabhu, they are giving us this wonderful, wonderful blessing. How to live in the mood of servant of the servant of the servant. Following the four regulative principles is not just about not being sinful. It's really, from a point of view of bhakti, following the four regulative principles is these are things that people seek out to enjoy that separates us from Krishna. We're not doing these things because we want to put Krishna in the center not what I like to eat or how I like to be intoxicated or how I like to find physical pleasures. I'm putting Krishna in the center. This is what a devotee values more than anything else. And we listen to Srimad Bhagavatam regularly. We read Prabhupada's books. We listen to tapes. We come to counselor meetings. We come to the temple. We come to satsangs. Because we want to help remind each other what is important in life, what is valuable in life. Nothing else. How we're putting Krishna in the center. To that degree we will experience Krishna. Srila Prabhupada saw that potential in every single living being. And that includes us, personally, intimately. Yes, there's reversals and there's problems and there's disappointments and there's tragedies. They come inevitably in this material world. Whoever we are. But devotees, in whatever may happen whatever disappointments, whatever tragedies, whatever heartbreaks, whatever reversals, or whatever success, whatever victories, whatever glorifications, whatever may come. 
It's all like a fog. It's material existence. We take shelter of Krishna. We understand what is really eternal, what is really of value, what is real happiness. That spirit of servant of the servant of the servant opens our hearts to receive grace. And Lord Chaitanya himself explained in Navadweep that he has come to bring an entire monsoon storm of grace to shower on the world through the Sankirtan movement chanting the holy name. like a summer drizzle. <laughs> Please let us create a monsoon downpour of Sankirtan. <laughs> to chant in such a way with such feeling and in today's instance with such volume also that we literally not only flood the whole of Mumbai and the whole of Maharashtra and the whole of India and the whole of the earth planet but the whole of the universe with the monsoon of grace in Harinam Sankirtan. Kirtan? I'm shy to tell you, but we'll begin the Kirtan in about two minutes because I have to briefly follow in the footsteps of Vivida. 